a record of the delightful piece they're going to play this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. Hey everyone, welcome back to Requiem Radio. I'm your host, Solar Requiem, and also the host, Hazy Dialect, here today. On this episode, we are going to be covering Viking lore, history, and the whole mythos involved in that, and hopefully filling up some misconceptions people have about the culture and heritage of the Viking people. With us today, we also have our special two guests. We have Big Z. Hey, Big Z. And hello, good people. Yep. And then we have Valkyrie with us today. Go ahead and say hi to everyone. Hey, how's it going? Yep, sounds good. Yeah, um, I've known both of these individuals for a hot minute now. I have always enjoyed their company when they talk about Viking lore and mythos. And one fateful day, we're in a pretty good space talking about a lot of these different issues and just going back and forth. I thought, why not a better idea than have them on our podcast? So I'm glad to have you guys both here. And thank you both for taking some time out to be here. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me too. You know, I really do appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Easy. Yeah. So I guess we get right into it then. So what got you guys both into the whole Viking mythology and like Viking, like history and stuff? What was the thing? Do you guys have like, was it just a memory? Was it people you were surrounded by? What got you interested into like this certain field, if you will? Ladies first. Yeah, go ahead, Dockery. <laughs> uh, I guess for me, um, kind of cliche answer, but it started really with Tolkien. Um, I started getting into um, like elfish lore and I was teaching myself Elfish, and in some of that, the names and the family names are very prominent. And I found out that there was um, such a thing as Elfish paganism, and I kind of dove into that and learned about more of their um, history that way. But from there, I did a bunch of like family research, and from my ancestral research, I learned more about like the specific regions and the differences between them. So that was kind of my journey into it. Nice. What about you, Big Z? Hey, Big Z, you there, man? I think he may be having connection issues. Yeah, oh, there yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, what got you into like Viking history and lore and stuff like that? Was it something in particular that interested you? <clears throat> well, I grew up in military home and um there is always fascination about uh, uh military history and wars and everything and then i uh stumble upon uh vikings one day uh, when i was very little like eight nine and just got uh so in-depth in that culture in that mythology and all of it i just fell in love in it and just kept uh uh pursuing it as a one of the side hobbies but also 
uh, kind of uh, uh, a love on the side. So yeah, that that's basically the history of it. All right, sounds dope. Sounds dope. Hazy, you want to add in anything too? In terms of uh, uh, Vikingism and North mythology, I really didn't have uh, particularly anything that um, got me into it. Rather, it was just a collection of just watching things like the Deadliest Warrior. Actually, surprisingly enough. Um, um, a cousin of mine spot over some uh, some DVDs, a collection of like things that actually are physical. You know, it's not digital. You can't download on a phone. It's very particular. It's interesting actually when you think about it. Um, and on these things, you can watch like who will win in a fight. It's like a what if scenario if historical limitations didn't allow these people to cross paths and combat one another. So that initially got me into like in uh, mythology as well as just Vikings in general and the interesting stories of a god hood and um just enjoy the history of all of it which i believe we're going to be delving into today so i can't wait to just discuss it with these two people who have shown themselves to have extensive expertise within that field nice nice yeah i'd say for me a good thing that got me into it was probably reading a lot as a little kid and Near the same vein, Tolkien definitely, but like looking more into like, you know, what fascinated me the most is always Berserkers. Like that interested me as a concept and reading more into that. And I kind of like expanded into like, you know, like how Vikings and Christians intermingled later through different kingdoms and empires and really just like European history of like, you know, what was Europe before Europe is today, if that makes any sense. And I don't know, always like the almost feudal setting there was back then. Where if you ever go back to it, like you have people like writing, you know, Game of Thrones, for example, but it's a lot of sim similarities between that in a weird way, if that makes any sense, between that period of time of like Vikings, like, you know, King Canute and, and whatnot, or like we were saying earlier off camera, um, like Ragnar Lothbrok and like his story and stuff where it kind of has this nice blend, like to where does the person start and where does like the legend begin, if you will. But what do you guys think about that? Yeah, there's a quote by Tolkien where uh, he says uh, that um, all myths are based in truth, right? And I think that a lot of myths are made that way to keep stories alive. At least that's my opinion. Add on to what you said there, um, even alcohol and beverages, like the popularity of like uh, neat, if I'm being correct, uh, uh, definitely a... Uh, it's just a, a ubiquitous um, drink within the culture that, like, stories were brought out of that. Like, if I'm not mistaken, like, a goat um, is shown partaking in just... But to say the least is that some stories were influenced and poetry, um, arts were um, affected by the um, consumption of this drink. And it uh, speaks volumes about, like, how silly elements of culture kind of um, inspire ele elements, but they also inspire misconceptions but um i would like to hear big z uh what he um, thinks about this as well can you just repeat the question i got lost in the stories we're just saying that um we're just talking about stories and essentially talking about how um stories sometimes have like a um a greater truth you know they they have some origin that inspired 
what they would just um, what they would base off of. Something like, uh, for example, the horns um, that constantly associated with uh, northern mythology, even though um, I'm pretty sure they they didn't wear horns in that nature. But it's it's just become such a a piece of iconography for the culture. Um, we're asking you um, how you feel about that sentiment in terms of like how stories, um, you know, inspire a grain of truth in terms of the culture. Well, stories are basically uh, the first uh, beginnings uh, of the books, and uh, when you get the, uh, when you have stories and legends, then the book starts uh, being. Uh, uh, you know, go into development and um, yeah, but the, basically, it's, what I want to say is that uh, the legends, the stories will become uh, myths. The myths will become legends, and all that combine uh, throughout the history and through all the word of the mouth will change. For example, that you mentioned the horns. That was uh, basically uh, really put uh, out by, you know, more modern uh, uh, storytelling because um, to explicitly talk about uh, Nordic mythology, Viking culture, it was pretty uh, scary at the times. So people just wanted to put uh, that aside and make it more... Um, you know, hearable or readable or um, something like that. Uh, that's why it's always nice to uh, read into the true mythologies uh, what, what was the core uh, or, and basic of uh, the beliefs and uh, of the mindset of uh, those people or any uh, mythology in the world. So, yeah, that's my thought on it. Docker, you want to add anything else on that too? Yeah, I think that there's definitely like the books and texts. I mean, that's where we have most of our history from today, right? It's like, you know, it's recorded history. We've put the church, you know, there came documentation. But I think a lot of it's just the stories that we tell each other and how we keep um, like stories about people alive. You know, I'm, I know in my family that. Uh, you know, we have stories about each person that, you know, it's like, oh, I've heard this a hundred times. Okay, Grandpa, right? And I think that's kind of how it starts. And I think that's how really people live on. Um, there's a movie I really like called Big Fish. And at the end of it, it's, uh, so, you know, his, my father told his story so many times that even after he died, he turned into a story because he just became them. And I think that's really what it aspires to be. I mean, it's, uh, it's a way to keep your people alive and I think it's wonderful that they're documented and written down, but yeah, I think a lot of it's just the like the oral tradition of it. Definitely, and um, I think that's represented in skulls and how they would like told out loud to like be amusement, to be entertaining, to be um, something that was done, you know, gathering around the fire. But also, it taught about monarchs, it taught about like stories of the history, tradition, the faiths, and things of that nature, and. These two things um, not only served as entertainment, but also served as a way to educate the uh, youth. Um, so I think that's kind of uh, it speaks it, it speaks uh, speaks towards that like um, history um, idea of um, 
telling um, important elements of history through these stories. So yeah, I, I think it's um, just in terms of uh, enriching culture, it is um, done so through endowing people with these stories. Another thing too, it's like I see a common theme among like Viking stuff as well from like an outsider perspective. A lot of it is culture driven by, you know, trying to get glory and fame. And I feel like that's something that stands out about the Vikings a lot different from like let's say, you know, the Arabian Knights or other groups, you know, the samurai where it's a very honor bound driven culture where it's like, you know, I wanna be famous. It's like not enough for me just to be a chieftain. I want to be known for my conquest and conquering. And I guess, like I said earlier, that could just be my exposure of Ragnar because that was a lot of Ragnar's story where he was like, no, I want more. I want to expand west. You know, we can't have our people here in Scandinavia forever. What do you guys think about that, Big Z? Well, uh, how to put this? Um, the Vikings were basically the nation of uh you know pillaging and uh uh taking over the toils of war and uh, expanding uh and explore exploring all other parts of the world and since they uh began in very harsh environments uh they want to see something bigger uh and also uh there, when it comes to the stories, they also heard those. <clears throat> excuse me. They also heard that amazing stories from the uh, travelers or traders that came into so uh, their villages and wanted to explore more. So uh, you will get uh, any king who is uh, who has a great um, image and um, who has uh, some further ideas for his people to explore, to take them to the new lands um, and to, you know, evolve like every other culture. Uh, they just did it. Uh, for example, first raid was in 1793 uh, when they attacked one uh, monastery. And, but that, that, that was their way of expanding and exploring the new worlds. So uh, it's a delicate balance between war and uh, exploring and um, searching for something new. Nice. And if either of you guys feel free, want to add on to more stuff, like off a church point, there's no harm, no foul in that. Because, yeah, I just like to have this episode, you know, just like a teaching almost, if you will. So definitely if you guys could like inform us more because I'm in the dark for a lot of these things as I'm sure the audience could be as well. But if you have any like cool stories you want to bring up too about Vikings or like things you think people should know about them, feel free to share them at any time. There's one thing I would like to bring you about yeah. Viking culture. Oh, didn't mean to interrupt you. Valkyrie, go ahead. No, go ahead. As much as a common, um, um, I believe, to be to some extent, to be a bit of a misnomer about um, Viking society, is uh, there were um, a bit of, it was order. Um, as in, Vikings are often depicted as being brutish, um, loud, and very boisterous, which while, yes, there were slave trades, and yes, there was um, people so potentially sold into servitude um, as 
based on the shackles they were using, there was definitely a, a high level of intellect. And just in terms of like how the society was ran, in, in terms of just a proper way of like engaging with one another, for example, just in terms of um, civility and just common like entertainment, they would play games just like chess. Um, it's similar in, in its way, but I the name eludes me right now. But if I could post the image into the chat just to show you what I'm talking about. But yeah, I was very fascinated and surprised to find out that not only did he play chess, but this was like just a game that he would play just for entertainment purposes. As well as, culturally speaking, if a woman was ever to um, um, ever divorce a husband, it was a, it was a procedure that could ha be handled and they had rights uh, amongst that nature of who they would attach to. So yeah, that was a, a very uh, illuminating uh, thing I found out just just perusing the history and the ways I became enamored by um, it initially through um, just a, a brief um, skimming over the history. And it's kind of interesting when um, really evaluating how the outskirts, people just see them as like almost like a mad rampaging uh, animal of some sort. So yeah, that's, a, that's something I found interesting. Yeah, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the Vikings, and I think a lot of it comes from um, the lack of belief and faith in the stories that were told in mythology. Because, um, you know, most people are like, oh, mythology, it's, you know, it's stories, it's tales, it's fiction, but um, that's not actually the, like, the etymological root of the word mythology or really how they originate. Sure, they're exaggerated, um, you know, to an extent each one is, but I don't think it's really as far-fetched as what people think that it is. Um, there was a, a shipwreck that was recovered from sea. Uh, I think it was in the early 1900s. They did a bunch of um, like archaeological like, preservation with it. and there's a, They opened up a huge museum in Norway. And one of the ways that they would bury um, some of like their... Just like more prominent leaders in their clans, whereas you know the they would send them on the boat with some of their belongings and their spoils and um, send out a flaming arrow to burn it. And in doing that, I mean, they found burial remains and like it verified quite a bit of the stories from that time. And you know, some of this mythology that people just absolutely didn't believe, um, all of a sudden, like had validity to it. They were able to, to trace back through history through the stories and you correct some of the timelines and everything but um, yeah it did have a, a prominence especially with the like the expansion aspect but from my understanding of like what I've studied it's it was really motivated by like not having access to food or a way to preserve their people you know it is, it is a very harsh climate and it makes for a different way for people to interact but I don't think it was necessarily just for glory and fame. I think it ended up do being that way because um, I don't know, they probably were just ended up a little bit of a different character than I mean, you, know, you think about a Viking with a double-sided axe and a monk with a with a book. You know, it's going to be a, a little bit of a stark contrast there. Speaking to Tandem about the harsh climates, huh. I was very surprised to find out that um, during times of harsh climates, they would actually be um, people who like. 
um, the best way to describe it is that they, they had um, skis. Um, I didn't know that about. I didn't. I just assumed like most depictions kind of had some sort of um, just them hiking in just the blizzard, knee deep snow. Like there's no um, way to get around. And um, and, and speaking to me, um, I was always under the impression that like skiing was something of a, like a modern, most like modern conception, like something briefly around like eighteen to like. Uh, like really like around that time period but um seeing the skis and all that was i didn't i wasn't um i wasn't even i didn't even know about that I didn't even know that um that was something they did well especially due to the cross climates i just assumed they would just have um, boots that would just insulate them but yeah that's actually something that's also fascinating about how they adapt to the harsh climates yeah it allows them to move over like um the snow and stuff a lot easier especially for distance and it spreads out your weight uh so a lot of the skis are probably just you know like a log that they've like split however many times or whatever but it's the same concept i think as like snowshoes um maybe in other areas oh i was gonna ask too um i guess finish up your point really quick because it's a bit of a different point i want to mention i was just saying um archaeologists basically suggested that they basically had to slide over these areas and due to them finding like pine wood like um like skis like almost i think around 100 or almost 100 and so like it it was a pretty evident that they were like expert skiers and around the areas uh these harsh climates and environments so yeah go go ahead yeah, so a question for Big Z and Valkyrie. Um, I was asked this earlier, or someone told me this actually in a very matter-of-fact statement, that the Vikings were actually some of the first vegans and non-meat eaters, and that they found a way to cultivate grains once they took over area they no longer had need for meat. Um, what is your opinion on that, Big Z and Valkyrie? Were the Vikings um, vegans, do you think, or... Sorry if it's a bit of a silly question, but I had someone ask me that, and very confidently they did. <laughs> I'll let Z answer first. Yeah, Big Z there, man. Well, they they were, were not the vegans in the sort that we know now, because uh, when they uh, were cultivating their crops and uh, the grains and everything, uh, first, they were uh, exploding a lot, e even in their land. And sometimes with the harsh winters and uh, harsh soils, and uh, North Europe is not very uh, famous for good uh, soil, they were eating those and all, all uh, those grains because of the pure uh, necessity to eat it. Or when the hunts are were unsuccessful, it was necessary to feed the people in different ways. They they also created a lot of dishes that were kind of uh, mixed with uh, fish, uh, fish and um, uh, some different different like uh, sea weeds also, like not sea but um, you know water weeds and. Uh, you can call them uh, vegans, but it was more out of the necessity than uh, out of uh, uh, quote unquote living healthy. So, so they weren't yeah, necessarily uh, just 
They weren't, you know, yeah, like he, for a moral reason where they're like, you know, it's wrong to kill a, a pig or a cow. They're more like, hey, we have low vegetation. We need to eat this sometimes for like a bad hunt or. Yeah, because uh, there were some times that uh, uh, winter would hit that was so massive and uh, three, four meters of snow. And there is uh, some recorded uh, winter scene that parts uh, in, in those times. And uh, it was, uh, to my knowledge, it was more to uh, necessity and also sometimes even exploring for new foods, you know, and making some new dishes. And uh, I think also that's, that's referring to uh, their usage of a lot of herbs and the mushrooms and all that. But uh, they had a very, a much more deeper meaning in, in for example, some herbs and mushrooms because, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they would use that uh, for preparement of the war or the battle or like Berserk has used um, mushrooms to feel more in touch with their uh, crazy nature uh, spirit. Uh, so, uh, when you look at it from a, you know, outside the box, you can just uh, say, "Ah, oh, well, they were vegans." But when you go uh, to peel layer by layer, it was more deeper than that. Okay. Kind of add on to that. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. I know it, uh, terminology can be difficult. I know English is your second language, like um, and they're like vegan. I think means no animal products at all, right? So, it, pescatarian, I think, is most. I was. I would say most Vikings were pescatarians, honestly, because, like Z was saying, there wasn't really a lot of game because of the snow. And I mean, if there was animals, it was like a boar that you didn't want to go fight, you know. And uh, so, yeah, they did use a lot of um, foraging techniques. Um, they did necess- They did forage from the land around them, and um, like naturally growing things they didn't necessarily have agriculture like uh, farming with grains and such but um, naturally occurring plant life in like the forests and there's a lot of waterways um, at least from the area uh, like in Scandinavia and you know you go to the Gaelic Isles as well you see that a lot with the um, just the people that live in the water because it is a harsher climate and I'm not sure about the area where I, your expertise is in but um, yeah I didn't really see a lot of like larger like red meat hunting or anything like that which was I think different for a lot of the European yeah, I think cultures. They ate, um, stews, they ate, um, they ate. Oh go ahead. go ahead. Can I can I just add on that uh, a little bit because and yeah, uh, people got, need to realize that even when we speak about vegetables they have very primal uh usage of vegetables or what they grow just because because you you need to realize and have a mental picture in your head and to anyone who will listen to this it's that uh go research the uh places or uh environments in especially in the time uh, in those places where they lived and uh they had a lot of primal things like weeds and corn and all that uh maybe some other but um it, it was not uh when you speak about vegetarians or vegans now and you have millions of acres of crops 
they were combining what they had in uh, what they had knowledge of, uh, combining that with uh, maybe uh, uh, meat here and there and uh, some fish, and they were just eating that uh, if they were staying in the, in the village. Of course, they would uh, when they go, uh, and that's also the uh, one of uh, the many reasons uh, that uh, they uh, were so keen and great in uh, pillaging uh, and um, attacking, uh, you know, and getting the spoils of um, uh, those uh, attacks because it, it meant that maybe they will buy also from merchants uh, some stuff they needed and uh, they can trade in those other lands because they had then gold and money. So it was not only because they wanted, you know, to rob. It was also that, it, that there are, they were, there were a lot of uh, different um, uh, usage of uh, those spoils of war. Absolutely. Like, I think they were very resourceful and I don't think people really give enough credit to really how, di how diverse the whole area is, you know, like, because uh, there were, it is very like, special, specialized and specific in some spaces and that is what makes them able to trade and why they, you know, at one point, like, had big tribal, like, alliances between them all and lots of trade routes. Yeah, good point. Speaking yeah. of trade, who were, I guess, the Vikings' like biggest rivals when it comes to like trading routes and stuff like that, because to my knowledge, I know they went pretty far west. And how far south did they go? Because I've heard stories that sometimes they touch around like the Middle Eastern area, but they weren't really there for long enough to leave a footprint. Uh, did they have like any quote unquote rivals, if you will, historically? Um, from my uh, knowledge, the at least as far south in like Europe they went, the first documentation of um, the Great Heathen Army, which would have been at the point that they crossed through the Romans, um, it would have been um, Sig Sigurd, which was Ragnar's first son from his first wife. Um, but that's the first like documentation of them. And I, from my understanding, they went pretty easily past the Romans. They just didn't really attack them until later on, but... I don't really know if they had any, um, like what their prominent trade cycles was, because a lot of where they were moving through was, I, I believe, new territory to them. So I think it was either if people wanted to fight them outright or if they wanted to trade. And I guess they just would go on from there. I don't know. I, I can admit I don't know that. Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. I can, I can, I can add to this topic because uh, I kind of researched this, and it's very interesting to know that. Uh, and to uh, and this was interesting to me to find out that uh, Vikings went uh, very far because uh, on the west they uh, went as far as Newfoundland, uh, the island, and on the east they uh, went uh, far to uh, Volga River uh, down to uh, Constantinople, uh, and that was. Uh, how far they reached, but usually um, uh, uh, the two parts, uh, men of uh, Sweden went to Russia 
and men of uh, uh, Norwegian and Danes went to Ireland or Scotland or England or France. Um, so they, they, they were, they, they, there were a divide in trading routes, but as Valkyrie said, they really didn't have um, <coughs> enemies in, uh, in that sort of way because uh, when they went to the new places and when they were trading stuff, it was more so uh, people uh, getting to uh, engage with each other cultures. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's not... Uh, in that time of period, it, it was not a very... Uh, also, it was uh, not a very honorable to uh, attack traders. So they would uh, have that honor between anywhere they went to trade and to, you know, actually, uh, actually expand their culture. And who was the first to really pop off of all this expansion stuff was, um, I guess, who was the first person, I guess, quote unquote, be king of Scandinavia, if you will, like the big dog in charge to like start moving pieces. It's I forgot his name off the top of my head. It's Bluetooth, correct? Something Bluetooth. Who was the first like really big dude to like actually become the king of like Scandinavia? Or is that something else? There's different tribes and regions. Like, Scandinavia kind of encompasses like uh, a larger area. It's like I'm um, saying like um like Arabia or Oh, yeah, exactly. That's why he referred to himself as the title of like I am the king of Scandinavia. I remember he like wrote that and stuff. That's why I was like curious. Like, was he actually that, or is that just like what he said earlier? Stories being blown out of proportion. I'm actually not too familiar with that one. I do know that the Bluetooth symbol is a rune, and I I don't know why I never even thought about that until I heard it somewhere, and I was like, oh my gosh, it is. Um, but I'm not super familiar with um that history specifically um i think as far as mine goes back is um lothbrook and, and of course you hear like leaf erickson but <laughs> yeah we can talk about leaf yes, erickson well, um what's that big z yeah uh, the the first um yes and uh bluetooth is a room yeah um and i was also pretty surprised when it, that came to realization, but um, first the big king was um, you know, Harald uh, Fairhair, and uh, he was the first old uh, Norse uh, Harald that um, uh, was basically the first king to claim sovereignty of uh, over all Norway. So, all right. Uh, I think- um, I did a thread a little bit back um, ago about uh, the other king that I know most prominently is uh, King Anu. And he was a king that had, um, I think it was like 10 sons. And he had, uh, over time for his own fame and glory, sacrificed each one of his sons. And it really um, is a story of like how like betrayal kind of um, is a downfall for a lot of these people. Because like they do rely so much on interdependence with each other. And yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple like notable kings throughout the time, but it's interesting to me to see like which ones actually like stick out or um, 
why they were prominent, right? Like, what's what makes stories live on? What what is it that makes us remember them? I think that's always something to pay attention to. Hmm. And um, Big Z, do you want to add on to that? Or are you okay if we move over to Leif Erikson? Because uh, it's also a pretty prominent figure that I feel like a lot of people talk about. Yeah, I just wanted to add that um, uh, the just an interesting uh, fact that uh, 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 Harald's, uh, Harald the uh, First, his uh, last son uh, was actually uh, the last king of. Uh, uh, no, no, not his son. Uh, his half brother. Was the last king of uh, Vikings or of the in Sweden uh, and part of Norway and um, yeah, it, his name was uh, Harald uh, Hardrada. Yeah, I think that I get that right. No, oh, nice. Thank you. Um, so. Leif Erikson, that is a figure I've Gedinga heard Dark. a lot of. Yeah. So, what, yeah, I know. What is the person? What are the, who is the man? What is the myth? And what is the legend, if you will? Like, tell us about Leif Erikson. I'd be better able to tell you about Ragnar Lothbrook, but um, I believe that Leif Erikson was at the same time, if it wasn't even someone that was um, a member of the heathen army. Um, I, I believe it was one of the people that was in his ex part of the expansion with um, going down to King L in England, um, which would have been uh, like near Northumbria area. But um, Leif Erikson, I think, is just um, as far as I know, is just like uh, known as like this like uh, like the big typical stereotypical Viking figure. Um, I think in the more recent like media. The Vikings TV show, I think they had him, like, sacrifice himself at a pagan ritual, which I don't know if that's consistent with the mythology for him, but, uh, yeah. What about you, Big Z? Yeah, uh, well, uh, I agree with Valkyrie, because uh, Leif Erikson was not really the, how to say, he was um, more... Uh, 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 a modern king to say it like that because uh, Ragnar was a true Viking, true king of the north and uh, he represented really the Viking culture But and Leif Erikson I, I know him because um, uh, his nickname was uh, Leif the Lucky and he was more as a uh, Norse explorer and he's most famous, uh, f famous for um, uh, uh, founding the first Norse settlement in Greenland. And that's why I think uh, you, Sola, and many people uh, from your part of the world uh, hear, him, uh, hear about him more because uh, he actually put a first Norse settlement, settlement in your part of the world. But if you really want to uh, speak about Norse uh, and kings and mythologies, I agree with Valkyrie. We should talk about uh, Ragnar Lothbrok. 
Yeah, sure. We can move over to Ragnar. So I guess the same question applies to him. Like, who's the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Ragnar Lofbrook? Um, well, can you um, go ahead? Sure. Uh, obviously, it's like one of the main characters of that, um, like the TV show, I think, where most people like uh, got really into Vikings in the past uh, like couple of years. Um, he, he was He's known as the, the head of the Great Heathen Army, which was the group of people that kind of expanded down um, from like Norway and Sweden through um, you know, England and the Gauls, and then they end up interacting with the Romans as well in the early like uh, turn of the century. But uh, he he was a real person, and one of the the body that was recovered from the ship that's in Oslo, the museum, is. So he, Ragnar had two wives. His first wife was where he had Sigurd, which was the son that inherited the heathen army and continued the expansion. And um, typically name-wise, so it was Ragnar Lothbrook and then Sigurd Ragnarsson. So they kind of take their father's name and then make it into a version of the last name. Um, so his second wife, he had a son named um, Halfdan. Halfdan, Ragnarsson, and uh, it was one of his sons. So it was a grandson that they were able to track through some of the uh, artifacts that they found that were like heirlooms, like uh, well-toothed combs that had names inscribed in them or various other signifiers. But yeah, I mean, he was, he's credited with being the first person to really um, have their people leave that area and it was very I guess like odd for people at that time and even like Z was saying it was even from that line that or Leif Erikson was the one that went to Greenland and a lot of people don't recognize that Greenland's part of the tectonic plate system of North America and we see a lot of expansion um, from that region down through like uh, North America and Canada and all that as well I, mean, I think everything's a man, myth, and a legend, right? I mean, everybody has different parts of themselves. Like, sure, I'm Valkyrie, but I also have, like, a, a government name. And, you know, people at work aren't going to know me the same way as they know me at, online or in real life. So I think everybody kind of does. And, you know, whatever you make the most grandiose part of yourself is typically what lives on. It's always a blend of the three. Mm, nice. Big Z? Yeah, um, well, yes, I would agree with most of what she said. Uh, I'm just going to mention that he was very, very great uh, and big uh, uh, Viking king and uh, uh, that uh, his, son, his sons um, were very great warriors. Um, uh he he married two times but he also had um uh, i think somewhere were uh mentioned that he married also uh, one more time for um a norwegian queen uh Oslog. um but i don't know if that uh, uh for sure a fact and yeah. if people want to yeah. Okay. 
and yeah, it's the I, second I one. didn't. Yeah, no, that's okay. her name. Yeah, it was for a treaty, okay. though. That is right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that, that's why I didn't know if it's uh, for a fact or if it's a story. But um, if people want to know more about uh, Ragnar Lodbrok, Lod- Lod- because there was a lot of uh, sagas and stories and legend um, uh, made about him, even after his death. And there is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, uh, actually from the book uh, from 14th century, after the, you know, the vikings uh, saga uh, and uh, when he started to mellow down there was a book uh, uh, found on iceland uh, it was from for, uh, 14th century talking about uh, just about ragnar's lodbrok uh, achievements and his son's uh, achievements with him so and there is uh, you you can read about uh, saga, saga of Ragnar's sons, uh, saga of uh, Ragnar Lodbrok himself, uh, saga called uh, uh, Ragnar's Drapa, uh, Krakumal. So yeah, that's uh, that, that's a saga of his death. So there is a lot of to also explore there. And okay. he was the uh, he was the uh, son of um, uh, Sweden King Sigurd, and uh, the cousin of Danish Queen uh, uh, King uh, Godfred. I think it was he he was his name was. And also the the um, Valkyrie, what you mentioned, uh, helped and Ragnar. Uh, uh, it, it literally meant uh, his name was uh, the meaning uh, like he was half Dane, and uh, yeah. A uh, quick question, and then I'm going to bounce over to Hazy for some questions too. What do you guys think is a media misrepresentation of Ragnar Lothbrok? Because I know there's the show Vikings, and then there's also another show from like the. Um, Wessex perspective called um, forgot the name of it at the top of my head. Um, what's the art name show Ragnar's in? I'm trying to remember it. It's like Lost Kingdom or Last Kingdom, I believe. Something along oh, those lines. No. Yeah, Last Kingdom. I heard of that. Yeah, but the Last Kingdom is basically showing, like, you know, the Wessex perspective of, like, you know, the Vikings showing up to their land and how the story is told from their lens. And Ragnar is portrayed very differently in that show from, like, the show of Vikings. Like, in Vikings, he's a very, you know, almost bloodthirsty, power-driven man who is like an omen to what happens if you bite off more you can chew because of his ultimate betrayal that happens later on. But in the other show, he's seen as a very cold and almost Machiavellian-like calculated man for his decisions and decisions-making. And I was just curious, like, huh, you guys are predicting the same projecting the same character as being two very different persons almost like it's almost like your name alone similar so i guess sorry about that my question is like where do you think hollywood yeah where do you guys think hollywood kind of like got ragnar wrong i guess it's very fascinating since i've been um it's it's, it comes with history's um aspect because it's hard to like go with an entirely um how should i say the best way to describe it is like to divorce yourself like if you were doing a documentary like a completely historical 
accurate depiction of the character, then actually you would do that. And but to some degree, I think the best parallel to some regards is to use someone like Nobunaga, who um, was somebody who detached um, people from the chains, who had Hamaramu, who was suspected to be like gay or to be in a gay relationship with people. Um, which gives him a more kinder nature in some of his iterations. However, due to the surrendering of some religious faiths that he did incur upon and killing and burning of some religious um, areas, in some other um, pop culture and iterations in games, fictions, or novels and TV shows, he's often depicted as a demon as well. So I think it speaks towards that, like, creative liberties in terms of, like, how people... Um, perceive these actions and what they like highlight as being so repulsive that um, or so endearing that it has to be highlighted or they believe that it's unbeknownst to the audience so it highlights them in a different light so that's I I wanted to add on to that because I think it's very fascinating how um, even though we're looking at the same character there's some things that a character could have done that drastically alters their perception to you in some regard especially if you're going to make an iteration of this character within the show. And there might be qualities you despise, and there might be qualities that you admire. That adds on to uh, Sola. Uh, your question was basically asking about the historical inaccuracies about the characters, or you believe that there was... Um... Yeah, no, definitely. You honestly expanded my question really well. Um, you hit a nail on the head. Like, you know, where, I guess, did Hollywood mess up? Or, like, what do you guys think about his portrayal and either or? I guess. Yeah, I think you said it in a really great way. Um, I it really is. It's all for interpretation, right? And in, you can present someone with the exact same piece of paper with one line, and they'll, re- you know, a room full of people will read it ten different ways. And you know, I think especially when it's so far removed from history, it gets harder and harder to do so in like an accurate way. And you know, it depends on if, I mean, if you're British, you might be like, oh, yeah, of course, he's a demon. He's a, you know, whatever. But, I mean, he was also had, an, had to have obviously had an element of charm to a degree to have an army and, I don't know, to inspire people to do that. I mean, it's, people are complex. And I think that as we have myths and stories about people that either we know were real or, you know, find out later that they were through archaeology and it does it develops more of their character i always think that's just interesting to see but i think for my for myself at least the thing that i think that they get maybe at least a little bit inaccurate about ragnar is that it's kind of something that z touched on earlier on european descendants typically have bloodlines to ragnar lothbrook the same way that people do to genghis khan because Yes, uh, you know, like you always talk, you know, rape and pillage the village, which I mean, controversial, sure, but I mean, if yeah, I mean, they went over a lot of land, and the his wife stayed home with the children, and you know, he had uh, various partners throughout the areas of England, and I don't think a lot of people realize how many people probably descend from these people that we have as legends. And that's why they've survived as legends because they've told their children the stories and then their children told their children the stories. So I think that the misconception is for me is that like so many more people probably are related to them that they don't realize that they are. And 
that it survived the stories that survive is because that's who you are and uh, i think there's some beauty in that what do you think big z yes i agree with uh valkyrie completely because uh it doesn't matter how you portray it uh the stories are told till this day and you gotta realize that the viking era was from around 780 to uh 1100 year uh somewhere around there um and we talk about that and we even have a podcast now about that um uh, a thousand years or later almost so uh and the, the, the these people uh, as she said uh went around and uh, have uh, had uh, relations with a lot of different uh, people around uh, the world and where they explored. And uh, if we had a, uh, you know, time travel machine, we could see that uh, many, many people descended from uh, Vikings and their, have their blood in it and uh, the question you asked the uh, only thing I have to say about Ragnar is that uh, they uh, put uh, um, put him uh, in a, of course you gotta make it for Hollywood and for drama but uh, he was more uh, down to earth um, from the books and the legend that I read, and he was extremely good tactician, um, and uh, basically a general. So that's the only thing. But that's boring uh, for the show. So I get that uh, why they put that on. I don't think it's boring. I think it's an important part. Yeah, it's it's history. It's yes, going to different people. You know, yeah. Yeah, of course. I'm just saying for the show, uh, for the Hollywood and all that, you gotta make it like interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's Hollywood in that show. They like over dramatize literally anything for like no reason at all. But <laughs> that's just I don't know. I guess that's just an issue I have with Hollywood, where I read stories and fables, and it sounds like a lot more cooler, but in different ways. Like I remember Big Z, you and I were talking a while back about how there was. If you could reiterate the story for me, but it was roughly like one man defending a bridge or an outpost against like 36 people and he killed them all. But before he died, like he got like stabbed in the foot or something from someone under the bridge. And that's what like got them to cross. Ooh. What was that story again? I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, um, I don't remember uh, quite exactly the story, but he was basically... It was one of the big warriors uh, in, uh, like in Sega, and uh, he was uh, stopping the uh, Christian army to pass the bridge, and he was literally defending it with all his might. But the way that he and they killed him, they uh, went under the bridge on a boat and stabbed him yeah, first in the leg, then in in the abdomen. But he still stood for enough time to, you know, uh, let his brothers, sisters, and comrades pass and go and uh, escape. Uh, and 
I think in just in that story, it, you can uh, capture the essence of actually the Vikings and uh, when they fought, when they uh, uh, went for exploring the new lands and pillaging and all that, they were doing it as the, the most strongest bond uh you can have and they had love for each other like pure love uh they loved each other doesn't matter like man woman man man whatever uh, it was that brotherhood and the family and uh, all that uh, they had that in them when they went uh for the uh explorings of the new world so yeah that's that's one of the things I uh, very much appreciate and admire about these people. Yes, they were cruel in some ways, but it's a different. It was a different time. It was almost a thousand years ago. Yeah, and you always got to watch out for the trap because I remember having a conversation about Vikings and someone rudely interrupted and they were trying to say things like oh why do you care about vikings they're all barbaric evil people just killed people and i'm like yeah but you gotta look at it from the historical lens of like the morality and people of that day if that makes any sense like people's views on things a thousand years ago are 100 percent gonna be different from views today because that's just basic human you know morality evolution over times like i'm sure a thousand years in the future once the dust settled you'll have a whole new group of people and they'll look back at us in like a scoffing way being like, oh, why didn't they do X, Y, or Z? But definitely like, yeah, I don't think people should like brush off like history at all, especially history, things that we're not familiar with. Well, the thing is, uh, I look at it this way. Uh, like uh, there is a, we all know who Spartans were, but it's, uh, Vikings are not per- portrayed uh, uh, as uh uh, great warriors in, in the Hollywood now and in today's movies and all that. The first ever we had uh, to look in uh, the show uh, Vikings and we uh, had a glimpse uh, into it from the, you know, uh, movies and pro- uh, movie production. Um, but I mentioned Spartans just because as they had that strong bond between them and trained and uh, had some amazing uh, things that they have done. Also, the Viking uh, had it. Um, uh, and there is a lot of interesting facts. Uh, like uh, their, their boats uh, were in that time pretty astonishing and um, they, they made them from wood around them and uh, you gotta realize that the boats they made uh, cross over from uh, for example Norway to Newfoundland that, that, that's three, three, four thousand miles on oceans and open seas from boats they made in their own backyard basically so when you just look at in those little uh Fun fact, you can see how it advanced and how uh, amazing these people were. 
Yeah, the architecture of the boat, stuff like that. And I remember, Valkyrie, weren't you telling us about how there's still some boats in those areas that exist today that you could look at and stuff? Yeah, uh, in Norway, in their capital city, there's a, it's called the Viking Museum, or the Viking Ship Museum. It's in Osberg. Uh, I believe that they have two or three ancient ships there on display. And uh, yeah, Lizzie was saying, I was right, they did. They just made it from the trees they had in their forests. Um, they're like, well, this is what we have. We're going to use it. But what was really unique about um, at least the structure that they used for their vessels was that it wasn't like a one piece, like a canoe, right? So a lot of the fishing ones that they would use were just, you know, small offshore boats. Whereas when they were going off into these like very, you know, uh, tempestuous uh, oceans that were dangerous a lot of the time, you know, a lot of their ships would break because they were too rigid or, um, you know, have enough men and supplies to make it across. They just couldn't do it. So they ended up creating the structure of like interlocking ones that um, were kind of jointed that would move. Um, so that way it would roll with the waves and the crashes and it would be more flexible in doing so. Um, especially with all like the small uh, canals and waterways and stuff. Uh, it just, it functioned better if it was more flexible that way. So uh, yeah, there's a couple of them that they had found. Uh, I think a lot of them were probably destroyed with burials. Um, but you'd have to be like, you know, someone of big significance to, you know, have your ship burned with you because it's a lot of hours, <laughs> right? But building a ship, I'm sure, is not easy. Uh, but yeah, but some of them still do exist today. And uh, I think that is a testament to um, just the integrity of the ship, I guess. I don't know if that fully answered your question or not. Oh, I did. I actually did a lot. Thank you. Um, and, and I would just encourage uh, anyone, uh, I mean, first of all, just to the, the basic ships and uh, also what they have in the museum. And if you ever give a, uh, have a chance to visit, that, that's one of the, I think, uh, in my opinion, uh, secret wonders of the world, and it's just uh, part of the history of Europe and that part, and literally the world. So, I would encourage people to research more about it. Yeah, um, uh, that's actually a good point. We could go on that more later. Um, Hazy, is there any questions you want to be asking them? Primarily, I've been looking at craftsmanship. In terms of uh, how they build things, like it comes to the axes, boats, uh, is there any um, designs that you guys find yourselves enamored with, or um, those that you find to be like really um, amazing? Because usually I look at, um, um, for me, in terms of craftsmanship, I really, really enjoy how the art for the book, um, the boats look. But that was one of the things I was um, really wanted to uh, discuss about. But I, um, those are the, some of the things I, I really, um, when it comes to mind for, I can coach it. Those are things I, I really enjoy. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely want to hear what you guys are interested in or like, Kevin, I have, it's like I have the 
I have a book, but if I'm just going to be reading the chapters that are my favorite if I don't know what parts you guys want to know, right? Um, so yeah, I definitely want to hear what you guys, like, if you, if you don't know something about that area, like, you're like, well, what, they have pets or, you know, anything like that. I think absolutely the boats are huge. For me, it's also, I think, the adornments. Um, they're they're really big about, like, jewelry making and the smithing in that way. And also tattoos. Um, they're actually one of the earliest, the earliest, uh, I think it's a Scythian woman. Or maybe it was an Icelandic princess. I can, <laughs> I can verify here in a second. But um, she has reindeer tattoos. Uh, there's a mummified corpse that they found. It's the oldest uh, tattoos on a human body. And... Oh, I think that's interesting because a lot of people just associate it with like, uh, I think like Polynesian or Islanders or Japanese, but Japanese were also a very dominantly water-based culture. I was actually going to ask you guys, I've seen this argument recently among cultural appropriation. Can I, can I, can I just add I one more that. thing? I, I remember one fun fact uh, where uh, also uh, Valkyrie mentioned uh, and there is, uh, there were two classes of Viking uh, ships, um, and uh, warships and merchant ships. Uh, warships were called uh, langskip, and uh, merchant ships were called nor. So, just a fun fact. Hmm, thank you. Uh, a question I want to ask you guys both: There's recently been a debate, and actually a court case in Scandinavia regarding their like Supreme Court, if you will, over the use and expression of any runes or symbols that have been originally used by the Third Reich. And a lot of like liberal organizations over there are advocating to ban these symbols in public dis- display, saying like, hey, these are symbols of hate. What do you guys feel, or what would you say to someone who says you shouldn't have certain runes or you shouldn't express certain things because it's Nazi-related? What's your take on that? Like, how do you respond to someone who says something like that? My gut instinct I will is... Just... Um... Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I think it's pretty ignorant. <laughs> okay, I mean, I think you can take anything from any culture... And be like, oh, well, this culture used this. It's like, well, okay, you're just giving it power to that purpose then. What was it before that? I mean, even the, I mean, sure, like the Reich used um, the, the reversed swastika that's originally a Hindu symbol. And I mean, it's anything has, everything has power. Power isn't good or bad. It's how you use it for good ends or ends that are beneficial. And I mean, I know, like, personally, like, I have some runic tattoos, and I get some people that come up to me and go, do you realize what you have on you? I'm like, do you realize what do you think this is? And it's, I think it's about <laughs> having a conversation about it and explaining what the actual context is, because anything can be called evil. True. Um, I do believe that the way. LDA also, yeah. um, even though in terms of its surfacing of conversation and discourse, most people um, definitely do say things to the nature of how could you call a okay symbol bigoted or how can you say um, it's okay to be white is white supremacist in some capacity or another. Um, the LDA is very much um, emphasized, at least in terms of the research you can 
come about when reading the LDA about describing hate symbols is that it's highly contextual in terms of how it should be ascertained and understood by people, which means essentially that universally you cannot just announce that this um, symbol is bigoted, rather it's contextual in its necessity for you to be mindful of things of like discourse or um, devout values and things of that nature. However, it's also unfortunate that symbols such as Ichigo's um, um, Bunkai um, with the Buddhist symbol not be used due to the overwhelmingly historical understandings of a sign as it's used as a signifier for Nazism and fascist ideology. So there's a sort of a dual wielding when it's um, talking about hate symbols and how it becomes prevalent within common discourse. Anything, if anything, on honestly for me personally, garners a bit of an uh, uh, animosity for those who perverse these symbols from the original historical um, usage. Definitely, if it's um, in the way it's commonly, it's it's starting to be um, retooled in our modern day. Absolutely agree with you, and I, I think that's a really wonderful way to say it. I, I think a lot of people don't recognize that enough, and I appreciate you doing so. What about you, Big Z? What's your opinion on those groups of people? To put it more bluntly, uh, if you don't know what the symbol is for, go and do research, and then open your mouth. It's basically that. Because uh, to realize that, as Valkyrie mentioned, the actual symbol for Bluetooth now that we all have on our phones, uh, PCs, MacBooks, uh, all over, is actually a ruin, is actually uh, uh, came from those periods of uh, history that we speak and spoke about in last hour. And uh, People can use it, and, and I completely agree with Valkyrie when she said that there is no evil or good. It depends how you use it and what you use it for. And uh, But there is also true meaning of uh, symbols, ruins, and all those stuff. And um, if you don't know what it means or uh, what, is it, what uh, it is uh, represent, what, what it represents, then just don't, don't open your mouth. I, I will put it bluntly. Uh, that's how the reality is. I mean, come on. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I, got, I feel like you guys are both holding your cheek a little bit in this, but doesn't that make you mad no, at I, all? I, I people cannot, don't know I anything cannot, about stuff? Like, does that not infuriate you? Swear. No, you I can swear. swear on the podcast, so. No, you can swear on this podcast. You're all good. I'm just saying, like... Me personally, if someone took things that held very deeply to my culture, my people, my like everything, my identity, and they slandered it, acting like they knew more what this was than me, like when you get angry at that, like when that pushed some buttons for either of you guys, like you can be open and honest about that. Like, I mean, like, how's that I, I, will answer this. Too, <laughs> I, I, I will answer this. Why, 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 would, why would it uh, make me mad what uh, stupid people do? That's their problem. People tell other people uh, that about you. That's why. Like, I will put it. Yeah, I will educate people on the ruined symbols that I'm interested in, that it in, in, means in the culture that I love and all that. 
if they don't want to hear it and want to call it bigot, okay, your problem. It is what it is. And you just continue with the life. Because if somebody don't want to uh, uh, appreciate the history of the world, he doesn't have to. But it's not my job to teach them. That's a lot more stoic and bold of an approach than I'd go for. Because me personally, if someone's <laughs> doing my history, ooh, buddy. <laughs> what do you think, Valkyrie? You can be honest. Like, you can say what's on your mind. Like, how do you feel about people doing that to your iconic, like, do not your items, your culture, your right? people, if you will? Like, is I that let your inner Valkyrie out? Yeah, I want to hear it. Where's this no, Valkyrie I've heard so much of? Let's hear it. I'm actually interested. No, I'm being honest. <laughs> I about like this. Look, I'm just going to be open and honest with you guys. Like, I think about, it, like, all right, if this was my people or my culture, and it's, like, frustrating because I see it in news, like, you know, Recently, like, a lot of, like, Viking stuff has been deemed as, like, a hate speech or hate symbols, and it shouldn't be seen in public, and et cetera, et cetera. Like, and I'm thinking, like, wow, imagine if someone did that to my culture, my people, where it's, like, without knowing, you just put a giant label, like, yeah, you just merely existing as hate speech. Like, wouldn't that make you upset? Like, like what's the pushback I mean, going I, on? Like, For me, I mean, I don't know. I don't really... I try to not get upset about other people's actions if it doesn't directly affect me in a way. So it, unless it, if they're just making themselves, uh, like, if they're saying something, then that's that's more a reflection of them, right? And I I think if it, you know, is, if they're saying it about me, well, then that's that's very different. That's where the balcony, the you know, the battle, the battle angel comes out. But I mean, it's I think it really just comes with being honest with yourself, and I mean. Like Z was saying earlier, like if you if you know something about some, about a topic or what it is, then speak on it. But I think people also just have bad information. Like today, our universities and there is so much information that's put out to confuse you intentionally. And I think a lot of people fall for it because we want to believe people are right. We want to believe people are, know what they're talking about. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it comes with the being teachable and also. I mean, well, yeah, of course it's going like, to piss you off. Someone's like, you know... Well, let me ask like, you guys this then. Let me ask you this. Imagine a scenario. Let's say five or ten years down the line, you have children who are getting ready to go to, like, I don't know, first grade, for example, and you give them a little gift. You give them a little necklace as a rune on it. This could go for either Valkyrie or Big Z. They come home crying, saying, like, Mommy, Daddy, they're making fun of me for this, and you're saying I was a Nazi, or that they're saying X, Y, Z, you know, like, that I'm a bad person for having this. Like, wouldn't that... Do you really want us to like move over to culture where we're living like that? You know, like that's why I'm asking. Like, I've I understand you guys are very knowledgeable in this stuff, but when do you go almost in the offensive to be like, no, you're going to stop slandering my people, my culture. This isn't what we represent, if you will. Because I've been seeing this very often in like Hindu circles where Hindu people are very act like openly. They're like proudly displaying, you know, the Hindu swastika, saying like, no, we're going to show this and shove it in your face because. This isn't a symbol you think it is. This is a symbol of my people. And we're tired for decades of our symbol being used for hate. We're showing you it doesn't mean that. Like, do you see that? And like, I guess Viking culture or like communities are people stepping up more or? Absolutely. In that I mean, scenario that, the, in that scenario that you mentioned, uh, it's not, uh, I would teach my kids, first of all, to uh, what it really means and to stand up for himself or herself, and also I would uh, have a talk with a, a parent of the bully, because that's not happening. 
Big Z, you are a man of many things, but you are way more polite than I would be. <laughs> I respect yeah, that you're a man of great patience and wisdom. Do you think one of the things that's been hurting it as as of recently, like for example, Sorry. when people had someone like PewDiePie, for instance, wearing a uh, um, I think a Celtic cross, um, they thought it was an iron cross, and people were like, look at this man. Look at this! Look at this pure blood! Look at this blonde! This 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 identical! This this genetic purity! Uh, this outstanding like uh, anomaly of society! He's better than you! He he's he's willing to unfeatheredly hold his beliefs, and it's that sycophantic nature, also with that sort of parasocial um, mannerisms that are ubiquitous on the internet, that causes people to like prescribe beliefs and ideas to people that just don't like occur within their head, or they even agree with. Um, it happened recently um, as well. Someone was just like, "Pewdiepie uh, uh, <clears throat> is living at, um, winning at life. He's in, he's in, he's in Japan society. He's got a trad wife. He, he's, he's, he's married. He's, he's out of American culture. Yeah, bro. Uh, 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 champion, celebrate Pewdiepie, king of the whites." I'm like, "Hey, yo." <laughs> it was like. <laughs> It's like there's always the pushback, you know, in two groups, and yeah, so I'm just, I guess, looking at Viking history from the outside lens, on like appreciating it, it's just sad watching people like slander it. But I guess, yeah, sorry if I was trying to stoke some fires earlier. It's just I'm tired of like seeing like it almost looks like he's getting pushed over, and you, like, do you want to see in the next like decade or two it be completely erased or worse, you know, like very progressivized to, to be like this very, I don't know. We don't even have that long. It's in a it's one generation. There are less than two million Celts in the entire world of Gaelic and people that come from that area. It's going to be gone in one generation if we don't do something about it now. And I am. I mean, I definitely am. I try to be outspoken about it, but you have to do it in a tactful way, right? Because no one's going to listen to someone if they think that they're hateful. No one's going to listen to someone if they think that they're just attacking them and telling them they're wrong. You have to have a conversation about it first. Um, um, And it is. There's nothing wrong with it. I think it's kind of fascinating about um, the level of, I would just say, fragility that exists in just people on a regular basis is that um, sometimes... And it's true within common parliaments that you have to kind of prioritize being polite versus um, being right at times. Because even if you tell someone unequivocally what's wrong or faulty about what they're saying about a particular subject matter, um, hostility will be prioritized over the actual truth and accuracy of what's being described to them. Like the idea or notion that they are made to felt stupid about a particular subject matter um, definitely will be at the forefront. So, um, not to necessarily say that you guys can't come down hard on anybody, um, but what would you guys think that um, could cause a resurgence of uh, notability, notability and visibility of just the culture in general? Um, is my question because I'm always a, a big culture fiend. So um, I didn't mean to derail your answer, but I was just interested uh, about that facet of um, just the discourse online after you answer um, what Solo was asking. So my bad, I didn't mean to derail you. No, no, you're totally fine. I, you're totally fine. I, it was a good point. So I think it is. I mean, you have to maintain respect with people. And I think that almost every 
like disagreement is probably rooted in a misunderstanding of sorts. And it's not always, you know, that person's fault. You know, sometimes they don't know better. or Sometimes there's just general lack of information. And yeah, I mean, I don't have all the answers. I try to do what I can. Uh, it's about learning about who you are, where you come from, and preserving that. And I think every culture, every people should do that. Everybody should stand up for who they are and keep their traditions alive. Exactly. And I say this every time we have guests who come on when this topic's brought up. I've always had the philosophy of like, hey, no one should be embarrassed or ashamed of who they are, where they came from. I don't believe in that. Like, I don't believe in this weird victim guilt trip. Like, you know, the sins of the father equals the sins of the son. Like, I find it really silly. And it's like very just not productive. And it's just almost like in a way. Excuse my language when I say this, but like cutting the balls off of someone's culture. Like that's really what it is. Like you're taking yeah. away the very essence of what makes them them. And I just hate to see it because at times it feels like there's very few left. And I see Vikings and Viking culture as being, if you will, a last bastion of like, you know, Eastern masculinity and Eastern essence of strength, power. And they hate it. They despise it. They want to destroy that. And that's what really makes me upset seeing. But you're gonna say something. As long as long as there are people like <clears throat> Valkyrie and me, and who are willing to teach people uh, what this culture was, who these people were, what the, is the true meaning of uh, from the ruins to the their uh, language and mythology, and uh, to teach them about. Uh, uh, to show them that their um, misrepresentations are not correct, and when you do it in a stoic way, in, in the uh, more uh, mature and uh, wiser way, then uh, that uh, misconception can be uh, destroyed, uh, basically, because um, people will listen about the history. Uh, yes. It's yeah, almost I agree. I agree. like there's a time where the Viking cultures has said just, you know, we've heard enough talk. Now it's time for you to listen. That's why I think that's how I see like anything like that. But my always hats off to you guys. Best of luck. I hope you guys don't get erased or like, I guess, cauterized, if you will, from your people. But it's very upsetting. But I wish the best of it. I appreciate that. And, you know, it, it's people like, you know, we're different culturally but we still have such respect for each other that you know it's giving each other the platform to speak about it and helping each other you know supporting you to just not be embarrassed of who you are there's nothing wrong with saying like i'm white i'm not sorry about it i can't do anything about it like my whole life i've had people hate me for being white blonde blue-eyed before i even knew anything about politics like my brother's half korean my best friend growing up was african-american black you know it's and yeah, you just have to not be embarrassed of who you are, be authentic, and yeah, you know, always be teachable. My only advice. Thanks for having us, though. It's it's nice to have a platform to talk about it. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is your guys' episode. I'm here for you. Like, um, 100 agree though. Yes. You gonna say something, Z? Well, yeah, uh, I agree and be completely sure. Uh, like. 
uh, believe in yourself and uh, be proud of who you are and uh, uh, try to collect uh, a lot of wisdom and uh, knowledge through life because uh, one thing that is always in abundance is knowledge. So uh, if you try to be uh, more knowledgeable every second of the day, basically, and uh, share that with people uh, that can affect uh, generations. Agreed. Thank you. Um, if we could like close up and turn to a lighter note, I think I found something all of us could talk about and agree on. So we're all in agreement that Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is the best, correct? Or oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Hazy, what about you? You Full Metal Alchemist fan, Brotherhood fan? Do you want a philosopher stone? Fascinating. Yeah, existed. More importantly, just in anime, you know, that's a weeaboo, and I'm so happy that we had this whole discussion about um you know society societal norms um the cultural existence of viking culture signifiers interesting uh dialects about just the misconceptions i knew that episode of villain saga was going to get me through this conversation so i'm happy for it you know anime polls do you know, just to just say villain <laughs> <laughs> yeah, saga reference, um, saga reference. Let's like it. anime um yes yeah, i'm sure. enamored with watching shows that have not concluded by the time that the initial enemies run through goes. Um, one of the things I become very fascinated by is just how to compare these two shows. And as someone who's um, watching, who's watched the original and then watched the newest iteration, what was, have you, to ask the room, to, to, to get a vibe check of the room, has everybody watched the original OG um, version? Of the series and the newest one, but okay. So um, I was watching that on Dragon when it comes Ball. To, yeah, hundred um, percent. This anime, in equivocate stage, it was probably one of the most fascinating uh, ideas of a power system that felt balanced in a way that is hard to describe. It was always about materials that could be ascertained by the individuals and, and quite noticed, and then even a villain like um, Scar, who was dangerous in a way that was. I'm only just pulling a thread of, out of the functionality of how um, just alchemy works. It just stops at the de deconstruction stage, and that in of itself makes him um, dangerous. It's almost like thinking backwards in a sense. That makes him just adverse to most people, how they fundamentally operate with alchemy. So um, in terms of the series, I have to ask you questions about this. What do you... It's a very um, big question to ask, but in terms of Fulma Alchemist, can I get a question for every one of you guys? What do you think it's trying to say, like, about, um, you know, what, what is the overarching message you could say you got from it? What is the theme? Big Z, you want to take a crack at that? What do you think is, like, the overall theme for Full Metal Alchemist? Like, what's the meaning behind it, if you uh. will? Well, uh, first, I would say it's about, first of all, about brotherhood. Uh, and second, uh, about, uh, fuck, how to say this? 
when you make, uh, I got the impression when you, uh, it's about when you make a mistake in life and you think it's uh, the biggest mistake and you cannot go over it, it's to show people that uh, over time with a lot of uh, work, effort and knowledge, uh, even the biggest mistake can be uh, corrected or made into something bigger and greater. Because uh, even um, uh, Hazy um, mentioned uh, Scar and he started as a villain, uh, but he was actually uh, being uh, pushed by rage and revenge and sadness of his people. And then at the end, uh, you see that uh, uh, the... Uh, elderly brothers and Scar and everybody can come together in pursuing of the something new and the knowledge and to correct the their mistakes and it brought them together even uh, the villains um, I forgot uh, was it uh, Pride? No what, hey, what, 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 just fuck Envy. I hate that guy so much. Like I'm never forgetting. Oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. yeah. I well, <laughs> uh, well, Mustang, well, Mustang uh, got uh, Envy. Uh, the uh, ending, uh, true ending. But um, yeah, the, uh, I would say that that uh, it, it really connected with me uh, on a personal deep level about. Uh, uh, as uh, the brotherhood and uh, about uh, how uh, if you work hard towards something you can make uh, and uh, learn and get wisdom uh, throughout the life you can make those mistakes in the things uh, some things that uh, uh, was meant to happen and uh, connect you with the world that was my uh, view on FMA. I definitely agree with you on the whole brotherhood aspect too. And a good scene, like I talked about Envy being such a despisable evil character. And it's just sad like to see like, you know, Mustang to be the stoic guy of the group, basically. And they're hunting him down only to figure out that he's too late and Envy already taken a close friend of his. And Envy's over here mocking him like a demon would, basically laughing, being like, yeah, he was a coward, I killed him. And then it's funny because Mustang doesn't, he really cuts to the chase. He's like, okay, you killed my friend? That's too easy. And then he pr proceeds to basically, I can't even begin to describe it as a fight. That was an execution. He cooked this demon, Mustang did, Envy. Mustang cooked Envy alive, basically, and destroyed him. And then you see a portion of him like just break down inside and it's definitely what you said the brotherhood like losing a brother and just letting it out but even once he's incinerated envy down to like nothing but a core he realizes like even if i did that i can't bring him back i can't bring my brother back and that was a very heartbreaking moment for me to see him like you know to have like the most noble stoic guy break down to such rage but it's a very poetic and beautiful scene, basically a vengeance as well. But that's what 
honestly yeah. made me fall in love with the show 100%. What about you, Valkyrie? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, I've watched uh, the Full Alchemist Brotherhood primarily, but I think it, the two biggest themes for me is, I mean, obviously the Brotherhood's in the title, and I mean, it's about them relying upon each other, them being in a situation where neither of them has all the answers, <laughs> but, you know, they're able to help each other, right? Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think that, like, the other overarching theme for me, uh, especially someone who, you know, I, I love chemistry, and alchemy is just like a, more like, a, oh, yeah. <laughs> esoteric version of it, right? Uh, it's about everything having a price. Everything, anything you want to gain, you have to give. And if you oh, want yes. to, like, yeah, give something, then you're going to probably get it back at some point. And I think that that's true throughout the there whole There is show. E- equal exchange. Yeah. I mean, you see it with um, Eric, you know, he sacrifices, you know, they try to save him. And, oh, gosh, it's Alphonse. It just, it breaks my heart. You know, this, oh. this boy's a sh- he, he ends up being a shell, but, you know, like, he he's still there, though. But it's like, you know, like, okay, he has his brother, but he doesn't have his brother, you know, and it's yeah. prevalent. I mean, even at some point in the show with the, I think it's a, I don't know if it was a doctor or a dentist or something, you know. Oh, my God. The the, the, the show, the, oh, my God. That, that one was the creepiest and saddest episode in all the anime history that I ever watched. Yeah, Are you talking right. about the doctor with the girl he turned into like a dog hybrid thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's, it is. It, I think it's one of the most, it's disturbing, obvi- obviously. One of the most potent things are, but it's, you know, this man who's put under great, he was put under great pressure of these observations of, you know, these yearly exams with his, um, like, practice. And, you know, all he had at his availability was his, his daughter and the dog. and. I mean, it's, it's, I think it speaks to also, he had to provide, he had to give something. So something had to be taken from him. Yeah. And yeah, it's just another, it's another way of looking at it in the show. There's obviously much brighter examples, but I think it's about, yeah, acknowledging and not just thinking anything's for free because nothing's ever free. Think about the show, um, and, and, and the best way I can, um, oh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Solus, was you trying to say um, um, in terms well, of, I literally was just about to say, like, what's your I opinion? That's what I was going to ask. Um, to be describing the show is truth in a, in a way. And what I think the truth, um, to be imbued and endowed with most of the members of the show is this, um, bizarre idea or like this false premise that often people are trying to quantify throughout the series. And that is what is the expense of a soul or what is the, um, throughout this, people make equations, people do the Philosopher's Stone, people try to exchange these elements for a soul, and the souls are typically some level of energy, but they are uncontrollable. They are, even to Father, who attempts to get all of these elements together and to become like an all-powerful character, he is literally only sitting upon this energy that he cannot control. Like, it's such a fragility in this all-encompassing power that he perceives himself as. To purify his body, he um, gets rid of his envy, lust, sloth, all these um, 
follies of human beings, but the follies of these human beings are a byproduct also of um, trying to do human transmutation. Um, and when you connect these two ideas together, that human transmutation is always an attempt to bring a soul back from the gate, in which the gate um, tells them of the folly and takes something from them, stripping them of some body part, test, an organ, what have you. What is important to understand from this is that um, towards the end of the show, after the conflict has subsided, Eric decides that he wants to live a life with his significant other. The romantic interest of the entire series really, and he says, your life for my life. Again, reiterating the mantra of equivalent exchange. But she looks him perplexed and just dismisses it outright. And she offers something else. It's merely just living, in a sense. And I believe that the show is almost arguing that there is this calculation is just a faulty premise altogether. That this concept of calculations done for life is unquantifiable, which is why even as souls are used or detained, they are never truly detained. They are never truly quantified. They are never truly captured or mastered. Other it's the idea that life should be lived to its um, fullest, and the meaning in that life is the finite in the fragility of people passing and going. To try to alter that um, strips it of its significance and value. Similarly to there being an undeterminable, indeterminable amount of gold that always existed, the value of said gold would never have value. It is in its rarity and scarcity that we see it as a opulence that we often decorate ourselves with. So, with a series like Full My Alchemist, I believe that it is reaffirming that notion that finite of life is its sacredity, is its value, and it emphasizes the maximization of enjoying that life to live it to its fullest which is what I believe is to be endowed to the audience and the viewers who watch Full Alchemist. That's just my, <laughs> that's my ongoing thought about the show. So I love that show for that reason. Very yeah, I think a great way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh I just want to watch it again. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I, I feel wolf. like you get something from it every time that's different, you know. Good. But I will just keep the episode with Nina. Yeah, no, I'm skipping those episodes. I can't have the heartbreak again. That just made me sad. Yeah, I don't need to see that. I saw it once. I'm good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Oh, well. I guess it's been a pretty good episode. Do you guys want to wrap up with anything else or talk about anything else that's on the way? Um, I think uh, my just closing thoughts are, you know, don't be ashamed of who you are. And if you don't know who you are, try to learn about it or whatever you're drawn to, whatever you feel like that kinship, like that brotherhood with, you know, there's probably something there. It's probably your instinct and your soul telling you, Hey, this seems familiar. What is this? And, you know, no one's ever going to be perfect as long as you remain teachable. It's the best you can do. I wanted mm-hmm. to thank you again for having me on. No, it was a pleasure to have you guys both on. Um, Hazy, you got any closing comments for us? Well, I do. Um, 
uh, to just continue what Valkyrie said, um, try, uh, try to learn more about your history, uh, other cultures' history. Maybe you will find yourself in some of them or connect with uh, other uh, legends or mythologies in, in a deeper way. Uh, and just to mention the most important, one of the most important things in Viking cultures that Valkyries were the bad asses of uh, a divine army. That's all. Nice, but as usual, I appreciate our guest coming on, Big Z. Amazing, what you got for us, Thank you for um, chatting with us today, and thank you for discussing um, for Malcolm's um, Valkyries, uh, culture at large, and just uh, in the discourse. And um, as for me, thank you for watching another episode of Requiem Radio. You've seen us all in HD, and I'll leave it off to my host, Solar. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad we're able to end on a note of talking about Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood because in a way, I felt like it tied in nicely to this episode of Vikings as well because what I've learned is that Vikings are many things, but at their core, they're brothers. They watch each other's back. Brothers and sisters in arms, especially. That, but also, I guess, closing for the audience, like Valkyrie said really well, just don't lose your ancestors. Don't lose your people. You are echoes of them. Don't let them disappear without um a light learn about your people learn about your culture and be proud about that be happy of, like who you are where you came from regardless of who you are but hey this has been another episode like hazy said thank you guys again for tuning in and until next time have a good rest of your day everyone thank you for having us on <laughs>